Welcome to the Soul Connection Duo podcast. We are your hosts, Alexa and Sydney, and we are so excited to have you here with us today. Get ready to connect to your soul and start healing within. Today, our guest is Dr. Ellen Albertson. Dr. Ellen is a psychologist, registered dietitian, national board certified health and wellness coach, radio show and podcast host, and mindful self-compassion teacher. Known as the Midlife Whisperer, she helps women have the energy, confidence, and clarity to make their next chapter their best chapter. A best-selling, award-winning author, inspirational speaker, and expert on women's well-being, Dr. Ellen has appeared on Extra, The Food Network, and NBC World News, and has also been quoted in Psychology Today, Forbes, Eating Well, and USA Today. She has written for Self, Better Homes and Gardens, and Good Housekeeping. Her latest book is Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. She brings over 30 years of counseling, coaching, and healing experience to her holistic practice and transformational work. She lives on the Champlain Islands of Vermont with her high-tech, raw food-loving partner, Ken, and her tree-climbing border collie, Rosie. Welcome to the Soul Connection Duo podcast, Dr. Ellen, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sydney and Alexa. I am so delighted to be here with you. We can't wait, wait to learn more about you. Before we get into more about you, though, I must know about your tree climbing border collie. <laughs> <laughs> she, she loves chasing squirrels. I think it's a thing about border collies, and she will literally climb 10, 12 feet, like jump up the tree. You have to check out my Instagram to see pictures of it, but she will literally climb pretty far up a tree. It's amazing. Yeah, that's impressive. We both have dogs, but I don't think any of them are much for tree climbing. So (laughs) that's awesome. And the raw food loving. At first, I was thinking that was your dog because I used to feed my dog raw food, but you you, do you have a raw food diet or? Yeah, well, it's amazing. And I can talk about spirituality, you know, right off the bat, but I was doing this thing called Destination Vibration. And I wanted to have like a a community supported agriculture CSA and get more into even more into organic and raw. And then so I was doing all this visualization around all this stuff. And then Kenny shows up and he's this master gardener. I literally before our conversation today went out and picked three huge bags of colors and kale. And so we're not a hundred percent, you know, and it changes with the seasons, but certainly like in the summer and our garden is ridiculous. And we probably have 40, 50 kale plants and we've made 50 jars of salsa already. And we've got an apple tree and a pear tree. And so yeah, eating really sustainably and a lot, not hundred percent raw, but certainly mostly vegan raw, you know, living close to the earth is kind of where we're at. Right. Then do you feed, what do you, just out of curiosity, what do you feed your, this is kind of off topic, but feed your dog a raw food yeah. diet? Well, obviously you're a dietitian, but just curious yeah. that aspect too. Yeah. Well, Kenny's more in charge of Rosie, but he does try yeah. to give her more of raw, raw foods. You're staying away from things like grains and kibble. And I mean, it's actually today, it, you know, we're recording October 1st and it's hunting season. We're like, we should really right. shoot a deer. In, you know, to give to Rosie, yeah. she'd like to chase the deer too, but we try to give her mostly, um, you know, raw meat because yeah. that's what dogs of her nature do really well on. So yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously being a, a dietitian, I just figured you would probably know best about all that. So yeah. Super. Yeah. 
And I would say too, that kind of diet too is so important for spirituality. You know, people are always asking like, what can I do to sort of raise my vibration and kind of, you know, in my intuition, but eating a cleaner diet is really helpful. Like staying away from sort of the extremes of sugar and alcohol and even meat. And it's not, it's fine to have it in moderation. I think about animal protein as kind of a condiment, but like the more plant foods that you eat, the more natural you eat, the more, it really helps you with that spiritual connection. And I love this, um, you know, being connected with the food, like going out and like raking the garden and seeing that has nature changes. And just, it's just an amazing experience to touch the earth and like see the beauty of what she provides for us to eat. Totally. Yeah. That was actually one of my questions I had for you like reviewing your profile and all of your experiences as well, um, was diet. Are there certain foods that you would typically as a dietitian or someone comes to you who's wanting to develop their, you know, in like spirituality or intuition, are there certain foods specifically, or is it just like a general well-balanced diet? Is there any kind of Yeah. Generally, you know, whole food plant-based. So staying away from additives, Mm -hmm. sugar, you know, certainly there's a lot out there about making sure that your, you know, your water is also clean. So there's a lot out there about um, fluoride and its impact on the pineal gland, which is kind of, you know, for those of us who are spiritually attuned, right, where that's kind of how we get our, our antenna. So um, yeah, and the, the cleaner your diet, the less toxic your body is, and sort of the more energy that you have overall to receive information from wherever it's coming into you. So I would just say, I don't like the word clean, but, you know, staying away from a lot of processed foods, a lot of sugar, the junk, we kind of all know that, right? But I like to also just, food should be fun and it shouldn't be something that stresses you out. So, you know, if you're listening and you're like, oh, I need to clean up my diet. I want to make some changes. You start with one meal, one snack, carry an apple and have that instead of, you know, a Snickers bar for your snack. Um, you know, I like to do a lot of juicing too. So just listen to your body and and notice what feels good, less about like, what do I want? Like what's going to be yummy and sort of feed my emotions and more about what's going to, you know, feed my soul and my body and feel really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's hard for us. I know specifically me too, when I get really stressed, it's like, all I feel like I crave is sugar. And obviously that I think a lot of people too obviously we know that's not the best thing for us, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's hard, especially lately with all the stress and things going on to remember that we need to feed our bodies the the proper nutrition. So. Yeah. And with, as far as the, the stress, you know, perhaps make a list of ways you'd like to take care of yourself already do. And when you notice that you're stressed, it's this great opportunity rather than just going to the comfort food saying, what do I really need right now? Maybe I need a walk. Maybe I, you know, need a nap. Maybe I need a, to play with my dog. Maybe I need to like do a puzzle or read or meditate. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, um, you can get hooked, right. By these emotions that are uncomfortable, but rather than going into your regular MO, just pause and go, you pull out that list. What can I do right now? That's really going to support me. And, you know, the problem with emotional eating is that when we eat emotionally, you know, we're distracting ourselves. So it's kind of twofold. So we're not taking care of the issue that is bothering us. We're not processing that emotion. And then all in addition, not only are we not dealing with the issue and the stress in a productive manner, then we're stuck with this. I just had a threesome with Ben and Jerry's or, you know, I dove under that blanket with Lay's potato chips and Netflix and 
I don't feel very good physically and maybe I feel a little guilty. So it's a, it's a gradual process of just giving yourself compassion because the world's really tough right now. Totally. Yeah. I know Ben and Jerry's was my best friend in university. It's <laughs> the only thing that got me through all the stress at the time, but, but yeah. Um, so you're a psychologist as well. Do you mind telling us just a little bit about how you got into all of this work? We kind of dove right into it there. Sure. Well, let's hear more about you. Yeah, well, I've been um, a dietitian for almost 30 years, and that's kind of how I started my wellness career. I kind of went back to school after undergraduate, realized I wanted to work with people, and kind of being a dietitian attracted me because I was, it's ironic, but I, I had eating disorders, and I thought, well, if I know everything there is to know about food, then maybe I won't be stressed out about it. And of course, it did the opposite, but then as my, as I work with people, um, I noticed I didn't have the psychological skills I could tell people what to eat, what not to eat, but I didn't know how to actually help them make behavioral changes. So become a dietitian. I had a, after I became a dietitian, I worked a little clinically and then I worked um, at, in media. My ex-husband and I were the cooking couple. So we were celebrity chefs in the nineties. And then after that, I became a personal fitness trainer that led me to working with people and then starting to develop skills. And I became a, um, a health and wellness coach. And then I was like, okay, I'll become a dietitian. I mean, I'm sorry, become a PhD psychologist because I wanted a PhD. I wanted to study some more. I'm a lifetime learner. So that made, led me to psychology. And through that, I was fortunate enough to meet Kristen Neff and she was on my dissertation committee. She is kind of the uh, pioneer in this whole area of self-compassion. I did my research on self-compassion and body image. That totally changed my relationship with myself. I learned to love my body, love myself, worked on my body. And through all of this, really women have always come to me and been my clients. Mostly women sort of, you know, 40 plus have been the people coming to me. So I've always worked and been interested in this um, area of midlife, even before I was at midlife. I think it's a very interesting pivotal period. And just working with people who are at a crossroads in their life is fascinating. And, and through all of my studies and work and experience, working with the whole person, right? Not just like you're here, I'm here because I'm I've gained weight. But now I work with people like, yeah, they're here because they can't stop eating. They don't know why. And they don't know why they don't have joy anymore. So we start with like the joy and loving yourself. And then the eating just kind of takes care of itself. So it's kind of a long-winded way of saying it's just a gradual building of all of my kind of genius zone and skills and abilities. I just love to coach, write, and speak. Amazing. Yeah. It's, so interesting, like when we start taking care of one aspect of ourselves, that you're so much more willing to take care of the rest, right? Like you might just start by going for a walk every day, and then that makes you want to eat better, and then you feel better overall. So these small parts we can change every day that can really make all the difference. And of course, that does come down to having to have your mind in the right place too, because you can make all these changes and then you can also want to self-sabotage after the fact if you don't have your head in the right space. And so you said you worked, you've always worked with women in their midlife. So what is the age range of midlife definition? In general, it's sort of sort of 40 to 65, but I also like to introduce this idea of second adulthood. So a lot of times the sort of first adulthood, sort of, you know, college, post-college, sort of between our 20s, 30s, um, we are kind of trying to figure things out. And often we get off track because it's like we're climbing this ladder of success, but it's up against the wrong building. You know, we're looking at this building, our 
parents, our peers, society saying, this is what you should do. And then we get to up to the top and go, why does my life not feel good? Like it looks okay. And I'm everything I thought I was supposed to have, but I'm looking out and it's not okay. And so I think it's this, this place where you get to um, look at all the mistakes you've made, get to know yourself, love yourself, understand what really lights you up and start to make some shifts and changes. It's also this period where you start to see that I'm running out of time that I don't have, you know, when you're younger, it's kind of like, I've got my whole life in front of me. I can do whatever I want. I've got all of these dreams. You get this point in this sort of the sense of, gosh, maybe I'm not going to be able to do everything that I kind of had been dreaming and hoping of doing what's truly important to me, kind of what's my North star, what are my goals and values and, you know, what's truly me and important and how do I want to make a difference in the world? So it doesn't necessarily have to happen. I think that there you make this pivot, but I see a lot of people and in general, um, there's this dip in happiness. A lot of people are struggling with these big issues and their happiness in their forties. And then the good news is that there's an upswing. So, I mean, I think that there's, you know, a higher level, maybe in our twenties and thirties, and it starts to come down and then come up and certainly everything going on in the world, COVID and war and climate issues, all of this stuff is um, really triggering all of us to take a deep look at ourselves and do some deep soul searching and like, you know, what am I here for? What is this all about? I mean, especially COVID where we had to spend so much time with ourselves and asking these questions of who am I, what am I doing here? Which is, you know, that's what the whole soul spirit piece is asking these questions about meaning and purpose and direction in life. Totally. Yeah. I think we've mentioned that with so many of our guests too, is like, yes, crappy as COVID's been, it's great that it really has like kind of forced a lot of us to kind of look inward and kind of heal heal ourselves and learn more about ourselves and, um, kind of have that soul searching. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been incredible. And obviously Lex and I were 28, so we're not quite in our midlife, I guess you could say yet. Do you have any advice for those of us who are, you know, maybe nearing our thirties or things kind of at this stage in our life where we're not quite in our forties? Yeah, well, you're at a really pivotal point because you're just hitting up your second Saturn, your your uh, first Saturn return. I'm I'm going through my second right now, so we might actually all have Saturn in Aquarius. I don't know if you have your Saturn in Aquarius or not, but it's a time that's you know 28, 29 of a lot of the same kind of questioning of like, am I on the right path? And if not, because like, that that's a period I know my own life, I was like, okay, time to get married, have kids, do all of the things you're told we're supposed to do. Um, and I think a lot of, I have a 25 year old and they are very much in the stage of questioning, like, am I going to follow the same path? And I think your generation is so much about, no, I'm just going to be me. Like a lot of people are saying, I don't want to be in a primary relationship. But So um, truly, I've talked to a lot of people who are, you know, in your space, younger, and all of the steps in my book totally work. So you don't have to be at midlife to rock it. So the first step is authenticity. You've got to know yourself. Like, who am I? What do I love? What lights me up? What am I here to do? What's my genius zone? And I give lots of journaling exercises as well as um, lots of resources where you can look at your strengths, something like the VIA character strengths. You can see what are my top character strengths? How can I use them in new ways? 
Second step is loving yourself. You've got to love yourself. If you know what loving yourself changes everything because you stop doing those things that insult your soul. Like you were saying, you, you go on that walk, you have the apple instead of the Snickers bar, because you love yourself. You start to attract people who really get and love you. And then people don't, you're like, that's okay. I love me. And that's really what matters. So loving yourself. And I talk about something called self-compassion, which is the how of self-love. It's being kind to yourself, treating yourself the way you would a good friend. So that's so key. It really helps you to attract such beautiful things in your life. Number three is energizing yourself. So that's all about eating right, you know, moving your body, getting enough rest, uh, certainly raising your vibration. So being positive, but not that toxic positivity where yes, everything's always okay, but being okay with the difficult emotions, when you feel stress, when you feel anxiety, when you feel fear, taking care of your emotions, but also staying positive, optimistic. Um, the research really shows that self-compassionate pe self people have a higher resilience. They have less depression, anxiety, and stress, and much more optimism. And that's, that's step three. Step four is to rehab, rehab your brain, right? So, I mean, redo your brain, working on this neuroplasticity, our brain pathways. How do I stay more optimistic, more positive, work on, you know, my brain and those structures. Um, number five is empowering yourself. So how do I advocate for myself? How do I stand up for myself? How do I really um, take those first steps, knowing myself and loving myself, really do the work necessary to build a life that feels awesome? How do I harness the law of attraction to create those opportunities for myself while still doing the work that's necessary to move myself forward? We get to six, which is rehab your relationships, because when you start to love yourself, when you show up differently, you're authentic. Not everybody's going to like you. Mm -hmm. And that's a tough thing, you know, that you're like, I'm the butterfly. And they're like, no, you're still the caterpillar, especially like family, friends. They'll see you as that caterpillar. And here you have to let that good girl go. Let the people pleaser go. Uh, set boundaries. So I have a whole section on creating a personal bill of rights for what you stand for. And then also working with something called nonviolent communication. And then the last step is enlightening yourself. So what I talked about previously of starting to see yourself as a soul, having a human experience, it kind of changes your perspective when you see, oh my God, the world is like going to hell in a handbasket. What's my role in this? I, I asked to be incarnated. I asked to be born in this time. And I'm here like you guys are making a difference with your podcast, right? And it's also helping you to grow and change and meet cool people who can support you. So that piece of like, what am I here to do? What's my spiritual practice? How do I give more space and air to my soul and let my soul to do a little bit more of the navigating through this crazy world we live in? Yeah, I made it partway through your book. I know you sent it to us and I wasn't able to finish all of it before we um, had you on today, but I am really enjoying it. And I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, this could total be, totally be applicable to anyone at any age um, who just is wanting change in their life. And one of the things that you just said that kind of stood out to me was about how people perceive you as you are going through your own growth. And I know that's been challenging for both Sydney and I uh, over the last couple of years, as we've kind of dove more into spirituality and seen these changes in our own lives, the people around us have changed. And that's obviously not a bad thing. Um, 
but I know even just for myself and my relationships, I've had some people say to me, like, you've changed. Um, and where I see it as I've grown and it's not, doesn't have to be a bad thing that you're changing. Right. But it can be difficult for just navigating relationships as you're going through that. And what would be some advice that you'd give to people that are going through that? Yeah. So the, the, the acceptance piece, you know, again, the, starting with loving yourself, because the only person that really you have to be with 24 seven is you and relationships change. I mean, I got divorced five, six years ago. You know, we have this idea like relationships should be forever. And certainly, you know, there's relationships through blood, you know, we, our parents, our, our siblings, but it's okay to let some relationships go or have relationships um, have less of a less focus in your life and then be open to new relationships. Um, but those steps are really important. So the, the, not the, the, the step, the process of the rehabbing relationships. So the letting that people please or go, I know so many people who are doing things to please others and that all of the making sure that giving and receiving are equal. We give so much and we see, you know, our moms, like my mom would just give and give. And I used to give and give and give to the point of exhaustion. I haven't mentioned this in this this um, interview, but I was diagnosed with breast cancer um, five months ago. And I think part of that is this lot, the left side of just all of this giving. It was super early, you know, I'm in remission, I'm going to be fine. But it's a big wake up call of like, what changes do you have to make? So making sure you're giving and receiving is equal, you know, making sure you've got time and space for yourself, time for you to do your self-care and your spiritual practice as you also spend time with others. And it's okay to let certain friendships go. When I got divorced, I lost a ton of friends mm -hmm. and then I created all this space. And now I just have this beautiful community. I mean, I think it's super key to be yourself, to set those boundaries. And the nonviolent communication piece is a really powerful practice which entails, first of all, it's about getting your needs met. So just um, observing what's going on. So let's say, I don't, can you give me an example of a friend perhaps who's challenged you in a way and how I uh, can give you some idea of how you might speak with them. Do you have a sense of a recent encounter that or someone has done something, they've crossed the line or you're having, you're struggling with something? Um, yeah, I could give an example. So do you have one off the top of your head that you want to share or should I go? You go first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I think just like perception of how change has affected my relationships with other people or with my partner. Like I know I've had um, a couple of people say not directly to me, but I've heard from through other friends that people have just said like, hey, she's changed a lot. Are her and her partner okay right now? Um, and I know that's been difficult for me to navigate, not only in the fact that people aren't coming directly to me, but also in the sense that it's like, yes, I am changing and <laughs> it's not a but, right? It's, it's uh, and yeah. how does that make, how does it make you feel when they, it's initially upsetting. And then it's kind of like, well, that's their perception of what I'm going through right now and maybe they don't fully understand it and they're not in a place to understand it. So I think I've gotten to a point now where if I hear things like that, it's not, it doesn't really upset me anymore. But the first time I heard it, I was certainly kind of taken back by it and mainly upset that the people that were asking um, weren't willing to come directly to me and have that conversation if they were wondering how things were going. Yeah. So you would say first observing. So I'm observing that you're uncomfortable with some of the changes that I've been going through and that you're talking to other people about that. 
when you do that, so the first observing is the first part. The next part is stating my, my feelings. It makes me feel sad. It makes me feel upset. It makes me feel disconnected from you. Um, so you just steady your feelings. It's about being objective. So you're not putting the person on the defensive. And then you, you know, you say um what that what the the need is. I need us to, you know, connect. I need us to have a conversation about this. Is you're stating this sense of disconnection and then making a request. I'm requesting that we schedule a time to go out for coffee so we can, you know, I value your friendship. I want to, you know, stay connected with you. I'm requesting that the next time that you're feeling this way about me, that you would talk to me about it rather than going to someone else. But it's a great way to get your needs met um, and also continue the lines of communication without putting the person on defensive. Like if you just came out and said, God, I can't believe you said that about me to someone else. God, you're such a boo, boo, boo. You know, yeah. the person is going to go like, well, I don't, you know, that's going to totally create, um, um, animosity. And I think that's been thinking a lot about this in our culture in general. There's, we have to stop fighting with each other. We have to start coming together and figuring things out because if we don't address this climate change issue, there's not going to be people around anymore. We're going to be in some apop apocalyptic future. So we all have to, in our relationships, whether big or small, whether it's individuals or countries, just starting to stop fighting and, mm -hmm. and having all this animosity and also realizing that it's their stuff. I love the four agreements. I don't know if you've, you've read that, but this idea that when someone else says something about you, it's reflecting on them. It's not about you. It's about them. Yeah. I think lately I've been able to more come to terms with that than I ever have in the past where it's like, okay, that's their stuff. That doesn't have to be mine. Right. <laughs> and also, you know, you, one of the most powerful pieces of advice is surround yourself by positive people who make you feel good and lift you up. It's okay to say they're not my friends anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's a hard thing for us to say, I, I don't want to spend time with that person anymore. They don't, I don't enjoy being with them. We don't have a lot in common anymore. And there is this sort of pain of disconnection. And maybe you have to mourn those relationships because you're not the same person you were yesterday, let alone five years ago. And so you're wanting to attract people who are going to support who you are today. Yeah, I yeah, think that's been huge for, well, me, especially the last few years. Um, definitely like sacrificing certain relationships and friendships for people that, you know, I'm not feeling as connected to anymore or, um, yeah, just people that I guess aren't kind of moving along the same path as me or growing with me as well. And so I think that's a, a big thing too is like you know you don't need a lot of friends I mean maybe some people do and they have a lot of great friends like Lex does but um you know I think you know really nurturing those relationships you do have that are serving you to be the best version of yourself is huge so I think I'm like similar to that kind of experience I know even with this podcast some people have said you know certain topics we'll talk about are a little bit more I guess you could say woo woo or out there to certain people. And so we've gotten some like people, you know, not thinking we're crazy, but just like not totally. And that's okay. Like they don't need to connect with us on certain things, but we've definitely gotten that kind of not feedback, but like people talking about that or like, oh, you guys are into crystals. Like, but like, you know what I mean? Just kind of weird things like that kind of comments. I don't have any like specific examples, but you know, people, not everyone. That could be, that could be a good thing because you're waking people up because, yeah. um, 
you know, I used to, I was in the spiritual closet for years okay. uh, because I grew up in a very scientific family. And so, you know, science is like, woo is the antithesis of science, but we know those things exist. Yeah. And so it's, you know, they're, they're uncomfortable, but you're also waking them up to the reality of the fact that these rocks and things actually have some power. Totally. I know my sister, I'm going to throw under the bus now and she's going to kill me when she listens to this, but she's like very scientific. And so she'll often challenge me on things too. And I don't know why, you know, all these crystals and blah, blah, blah. And like, um, just kind of, you know, there's got to be a scientific explanation for it, but oftentimes, I don't know, there isn't, but um, that is something else that I was interested in asking you about because we did have someone else on the podcast who was also a psychologist. Um, so were you spiritual before you did your psychology um, PhD or like, I'm just curious about what they did in school. Like, did they talk about much of that or kind of what was your experience like? I would say for me in terms of my psychology, the psychology degree, um, Certainly, I mean, mindful self-compassion was my dissertation topic and my area of research. And I would say certainly mindful self-compassion is a, it's very similar to MBSR, uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction in terms of structure. It's a eight week, it's an eight week program that involves a lot of meditation, a lot of going within. So certainly it's super spiritually based and I had a, a lot of support and my degree was actually in, um, psychology with emphasis on media. So I was personally, was and it was with a program that's really for adult learners. Uh, Fielding's been around for a really long time. So there's a lot of flexibility on creating your own path. And so my dissertation um, committee chair was also interested in things like yoga and spirituality and meditation. So she actually suggested like when I we were looking for a modality that would help women deal with negative body image. And she literally said to me, why don't you teach meditation? And I was like, what? I didn't go back to school to be a meditation teacher. So to answer your question, yeah, it was totally there. And I think it put me back on my path. I've always had this relationship of like stepping out of the closet and going back in the closet, stepping out of the closet and going out. And now I'm totally fully out. Um, and I think the, the cancer diagnosis has helped with that of just like, I'm just going to be fully me. I mean, life is so short. And when you get a cancer diagnosis or any heavy, something happens too heavy like that, you're like confronted with death. It's in your face and you're, you have to really grapple with some deep spiritual issues. And one of which for me is just being as real as I can, just being the US, you being the USU, which is another tip I would say everybody when each of us shines and lets ourselves out whether that is love and crystals or essential oils or I don't know gardening whatever it is we all give each other permission to shine but in my psychology I had a lot of support for that yeah that's awesome yeah I think I guess too because you're doing your PhD and focusing on something specific too you can really like dive deep into that so Mm -hmm. it's crazy how so many people pretty much everyone we've talked to kind of had that like you know spirituality piece or intuition and like yeah like you said going in and out of the closet and then kind of worrying what other people are going to think and then eventually just get to a point I think especially now that a lot more people are waking up to and becoming more comfortable talking with it and familiar with it too that um, it's allowing people like yourself and other people to feel more comfortable to openly talk about it and explore it and use yeah, it plus modality to help people heal. Yeah. Plus now everybody can be a creator. So you guys are just, all of us are spreading the Kool-Aid, right? So we can all, 
share and not feel we're alone anymore. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, 20 years ago, it's like you, you know, we used to have these things called new age bookstores where you could gather and hang out with those people and you did it there and then you left. But now we're all, all can be completely open about it. And, you know, we're fortunate to live in a time and space where we can share all this stuff and no one's going to burn us at the stake. I think a lot of people who are spiritually minded have like past lives, right? Where they were maybe healers or, uh, you know, the shaman, all of those kinds of things. And it wasn't permissible in their yeah, like past life or ancestral too. Like I think right. a lot of us in our lineage might have these different forms of spirituality or things that were passed down through generations that have just kind of been masked for so long too, as we've um, haven't been able to talk about it because of fear perpetuated around spirituality or powerful women or whatever it might be. So that's, it's just really cool to be alive in this time when we can actually express that in a way, like you say, that we're not going to be burned at the stake. Yeah. Yeah. And you have your own podcast as well. I know we've both, both listened to some episodes on it. Um, and you share some really, you bring on a lot of really cool speakers and share some really amazing information. Do you mind just sharing a little bit about your podcast? And then I guess it kind of ties into your book as well. It's similar, same title and everything. Do you mind just sharing? Sure. It's called Rock Your Midlife and it is broadcast on Voice America every Wednesday. So it's actually live radio, which is really fun because I I had a radio show for years with my ex-husband and I love radio. I love doing the live and people can call in and there's just sort of a fun vibe that happens. And I usually have two guests on and we cover everything from health, wellness, menopause, um, psychology. I just did a great show on sleep, which was fascinating. I'm reading this amazing book called Why We Sleep. I um, to that one. <laughs> have you read it? Yeah, I did listen to it. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. yeah, that so that was super fascinating. Certainly, I've had a couple psychics on, which has been really fun. Gosh, we've done some fashion, which is always fun. Those shows do good fashion, body image. Um, uh, I've had uh, some meditation people. So pretty much whatever is of interest to me and of interest to my listeners, I'm really enjoying it. It's taken me a little while to kind of hit my stride with it, um, but it's, it's really fun. And like, you know, podcasts are a great way to reach people. I think a lot of people are really enjoying being able to listen to something that is entertaining, that they like. We can say whatever we want to say, right? We're not censored. Um, so I'm really, I am really enjoying it. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been super fun for us too. We get to just pick really cool guests to talk to and learn from all the time. And I think it's definitely helped us to grow big time within our own spirituality and just explore new new topics and ideas that we probably wouldn't have heard about otherwise. And then we get to share that with our listeners, which is, I think the best part of all of it is getting to spread the good word of whatever it might be and people to have these other resources such as a book or a modality that they maybe hadn't heard of before. So it's, it's awesome to be in that world of sharing with people. Um, I know in your book, one of the topics, well, not, not one of the steps, but one of the kind of ideas behind one of the steps is fear and like, I know we had a lot of fear about actually starting this podcast before we started because of perception of other people. 
And what would some words of wisdom be for people who maybe are fearing either stepping into something because of the what ifs or fearing starting something um, because of perception or other things? Well, it's fear the feel the fear and do it anyway. So you're going to feel if you're stepping outside your comfort zone, whether it's a podcast, whether it's a relationship, whether it is traveling, whatever that is. You're going to feel fear if you step outside your comfort zone because it comes down to neuroscience. Your brain is not interested in you being happy, enlightened, having adventures. It wants to keep you safe. So the minute you step out and say, oh my God, I'm going to do this podcast. I'm going to put myself up on this dating site. I'm going to you know, go book that Airbnb in Bali, whatever that thing is. The fear brain's like, well, you don't have enough money. And what are people going to think? Or how are you going to be able to do this? Or you know, what if you have this horrible date and nobody, nobody answers your ad, whatever it is. And that's just the amygdala. So we have this lizard brain that lives in the back of our skull, right back here. And it is the, you know, fight, flight generates cortisol. So the biggest thing is to feel it rather than, but don't let it drive the show. So I love what Elizabeth Gilbert says. She's like, hello, fear, take a back seat. You can, you can be here. So it's not like you can make the fear go away. I mean, we can't, I'm not, uh, don't ever advise people like, don't think that you know, don't think of the pink elephant. Of course, you're going to feel fear. You're human. I mean, I just loved seeing, um, there's a wonderful um, documentary about this guy who climbs El Capitan in, you know, in Wyoming, right? And he had something in his brain, not quite working. He didn't really feel fear. I don't know if you've seen yeah, it. Called I did. Yeah. And he didn't feel fear. <laughs> like I could never do that. So, I mean, fear is your friend. It's trying to keep you safe. So feel it. Then I love to do something that, you know, Tim Ferriss talks about this, um, I think he calls it fear uh, testing or fear setting, where you ask yourself, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? You're right, all your fears down. You're like, dump all the fears. What's the worst thing? Nobody listens to the podcast, right? Or people say terrible things. Like, of course, some of that happened, right? But yeah. you write all this stuff down and then you take a look, okay, what could I do if that happened? How could I avoid, what could I do if it happened? Or how could I avoid that from happening? So like, if nobody's listening, I could say, I'm going to tell my friends, I'm going to get out on social media. I'm going to let people know. I'm going to have guests on who will share all of that. So really brainstorming about all the ways you could prevent the thing you're afraid of from happening. And then um, also asking yourself, well, if it happens, how could I sort of recoup? How could I get, get my... My, what I invested back or recover or whatever that is. If I decide I'm going to move across the country, well, I could always move back, right? If I marry or like for me, I moved in with Kenny. It's like, well, I could always move out if it doesn't work because mm -hmm. we were seeing so much of each other. And I was like, all right, I was really scared. Like, well, what if I don't like it out here in North Hero? There's no people out here. There's just a bunch of deer and I love it out here. But I was really scared. Like, should I leave my nice little Burlington city and move out to this little island where there's I've made great friends too, by the way, but so fear testing. And then also um, I love using this um, name it, you tame it. So naming the fear, this is fear. Like, where am I feeling that? Is it like, you know, my heart beating, um, how, feeling it. And then realizing that, that fear and um, excitement are the same. So like I've, I've done, sometimes I go on amusement park rides, right. And you're on the top of the rope before the roller coaster, you're so scared, but it's fun too. And it's exciting. So see, can I turn this fear and anxiety into excitement? So feel it, you heal, I mean, um, name it, you tame it. So this is fear, feel it, you heal it. So feeling that physiological response to fear and then just let it come and go and give yourself compassion because yes, you're scared, 
but know that truly it's a cliche, but everything you want is on the other side of fear. I mean, I was afraid to write this book took a lot of time. It took a year of my life. I was super scared with all this cancer diagnosis stuff, but you know, I had to like do the operation, do the radiation. You know, I had to decide, I decided not to do chemo, which is a little scary, but it didn't feel right for me. Um, and, but I'm happy with my decision. So I have to like deal with fear. Is the cancer going to come back? That fear that's constantly in the back of my mind, but maybe not constantly, but just like give it some space. It's trying to protect me. Am I doing everything I can to stay as healthy as I can? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and knowing ultimately that, you know, the universe has got my back and I'm here for a reason. And like as the psychic told me, she's like, Dr. Ellen, you're not going anywhere. So don't even worry <laughs> about it. I think I'm here for a reason. I think I'm here as part of the solution, whether it's teaching people about health, nutrition, farming, to loving and taking care of themselves, dealing with difficult emotions, whatever that is, going for their dreams, their goals. You know, I ultimately feel like I'm here. And even when I'm not here anymore, I love, I'm reading a wonderful book by Thich Nhat Hanh. I don't know what it's called, but knowing that you're part of everything that is, you won't stop existing. Mm -hmm. Like this interaction we're having is part of what we're all doing as part of ourselves. Like we continue on through what we do in the world and through the people we touch. We're making a difference. And that will continue as our part of our legacy. I think um, since you're talking about fear, um, how I'm just curious as to maybe what your advice would be for someone who has been through a trauma, traumatic event. Myself, I went through a pretty major trauma a few years ago. So I have fears that are stemming from that, but how that would differ I guess to overcome those fear or fears or is it similar or is there other ways you can kind of work with that trauma and that event to overcome yeah well I'm not a clinical therapist yeah. so um you know I'm not sort of licensed to talk about the, the clinical right. aspect of it but trauma is a reaction to something that happened in your past mm -hmm. so let's say um I don't know uh, you, I, I'll use an example of like a, a war vet. Like I had friends who've been war vets, right. And the car backfire backfires and they duck and cover mm -hmm. because of that's triggering a response that was there to protect them. So we create these, um, responses to difficulties in our lives to protect us. But what happens is that it's not serving us in the present. So I would say if it's truly trauma, then, you know, get some therapy. I mean, I had trauma and I did some EDMR. Um, I heard about this Havenin technique. I had somebody on the other day on my latest show about something called Havenin, where you do some soothing touch, certainly self-compassion can help. But if it's true trauma, there's some great therapists, there's great books out there like The Body Keeps Score. So there's a tremendous amount of, um, just like we're talking about spirituality, where people are talking about it. People are talking about trauma and there's a lot of help out there. If it's true trauma, I would say, like I had a terrible trauma on my, my parents and my ex, I would, my parents would always fight in the car. My ex and I would always fight in the car. And so it would be trauma. It would go into this traumatic place where I just was crawling out of my skin. I couldn't stand it. And so I had to kind of go through, a. um, just uh, ex an exposure to it with somebody else where we would get lost and I'd start to go like, oh my God, he's going to yell at me. What's going to happen? And realizing that I'm safe. But trauma is definitely something that can really impact um, our day-to-day. -day. And it's something that there's great therapists out there in books and ways of getting help. So I would say if, if you're, if it's, if it's impacting your life and you're ready to deal with it, you know, work with somebody who's really skilled that you resonate with. And that's certainly, you know, fear is, is, 
I think that can be part of trauma, but not all fear is trauma. Yeah. Like I heard today, you know, there, there it was the beginning of deer season. And I heard this gun and I was like, oh my God, am I okay? It's like somebody's <laughs> shooting in my backyard. Um, you know, that's like a healthy fear of like, okay, you don't go in the woods during hunting season in Vermont. Yes. You know, I'm scared of the hunter shooting me. That is a real, that's a good fear. And you can be prudent and say like, okay, we're going to walk by the lake and not walk by in the woods. But um, yeah, don't let fear stop you and don't let trauma, you know, Trauma's, trauma's heavy. Yeah. Most of us, we have traumas, the things that we, that we developed when we were five, six, seven years old and are that, that inner, that child is running the ship and trying to keep you shit, you safe. And your 28 year old self is like, wow, this trauma is really keeping me from living as fully and happily as I want to. Mm-hmm. Totally. And yeah, like traumas from past lives and everything too. So yeah, sorry, that was maybe a little bit off topic, but um what kind of services do you offer clients? Obviously, I'm assuming you're still doing um, helping people with their diets and all that. But uh, I think we saw something. Maybe you did some Reiki. Are there some other things that you offer too for people? Um, sure. Well, I do have a Raise Your Vibe quiz that anybody can take, which is great since we're talking about spirituality. Yeah. It's just you can go to raiseyourvibequiz.com. Then grab that. You can go to my website, midlifewhisper.com, and there I have other great resources. 10 tips to rock midlife. So basically right now, I mean, I certainly, you know, am happy to talk with people if they're interested in working with me. I don't just do diet though. I'm certainly, I don't do diet at all. Um, I do body, mind, heart, spirit relationships. If you're feeling stuck and you don't know why, and you want to move forward with your life and you don't know what to do and you identify with this sort of being at midlife, um, then I would be happy to have a conversation and see how I can support you. I certainly do do coaching. I'm a board certified health and wellness coach. I've been coaching for 15 years. Um, Right now I'm focusing on kind of more writing, speaking, putting myself out there to kind of have a larger impact on on the world. Um, Writing another book called Cancer Was Not On My Vision Board. That's really dealing with some of the, the trauma and the issues that people have moving through this process, more of the psycho-spiritual, emotional issues that people are dealing with, certainly do public speaking as well. But yeah, I do do coaching has kind of always been something that I'm out there to support people. And I provide lots of, um, you know, fun daily chats on Facebook and Instagram and in all the places and on my, on my uh, podcast as well. Yeah. I, one of the things I read in your book was a life design reading. Are you still doing that? Um, I can do that. Yeah. So I've designed yeah. reading. I sort of use what's called um, the gene keys, which is looking okay. at your birth date. And I would say, you know, as I go more in the spiritual direction, if people are into, into it, I certainly bring tarot into my work. I've been reading cards for since before, probably since before you guys were born, <laughs> like <laughs> half my life. And I love tarot and I love Oracle cards and using those tools in the work that I do not to fortune tell, but more things like the gene keys and tarot and even starting to delve. Um, I love astrology. I'm not an, ast- I wouldn't call myself an astrologer, but I like looking at someone's birth chart and seeing, okay, all your planets are in, are in retrograde. So like I have one person, I was a dear friend. I was kind of reading for her and I was like, oh my goodness, you have like 
most of your planets in retrograde, which is why you kind of feel like it's like an inside out turtle a little bit. That's kind of how I described her, but I like to incorporate all kinds of modalities. And I think that's one of my forties. People sometimes are like, well, how do you do all of these things? How do they all fit? But they all fit for me. But I look at the whole person and the backbone is always coaching. Coaching is very different than psychotherapy. Psychotherapy is like, you've got a problem like trauma or depression and let's treat the trauma, treat it, the issue. Um, coaching is much more of what are your dreams? What are your goals? Who do you want to be? How much do you want to shine your light in the world? And how can we make that happen? How can I help you deal with things like fear and anxiety and loving yourself to help you get there? And if it's trauma, you know, if I can't, if it's outside my scope of practice, how can we find someone to help you heal those parts of yourself so you can feel as whole and happy and vibrate on as high levels possible? Because I mean, ultimately, I think we're probably on the same page. If we all raise our vibe, like we're raising the vibe of the planet. I mean, we are here as the universe wants human beings are part of the whole picture of everything that's going on in the universe. We really matter. Every single one of us is super important. Yeah. Yeah, that's great to just be able to help people wherever they're at and help like work with them as a coach to make sure that they're getting what they need and being able to move forward, however that might be. And having a lot of life experience, you know, um, yeah, I, I feel like the best life, ex- li- the best coaches have a lot of life experience and experience coaching. And I've coached probably thousands of people at this point in my life and are really good at listening holding space, letting the client drive their journey. Yeah. A lot of people we've talked to do different types of coaching. Um, One of our recent guests is a relationship coach and specifically focuses on toxic relationships and like having had that own experience herself um, is really able to help her clients through that. So I think that's a huge piece. It's really cool to just talk to people about the different things that they do and how they came into it because we find our way to these things in the most unique ways it seems like yeah we love that you know it's a combination of and as, as i'm moving forward i one one change that i've made is because of my breast cancer diagnosis is letting that workaholic go that was a part of um i there's something called internal family system so I have a people pleaser that I let go. I had a self-critic that I let go and certainly the workaholic and now really being in partnership with the universe. And I'm finding that as I do less, as I spend more time on self-care and spirituality and self-love, self, all of those wonderful self things, a lot more opportunities are coming my way, like big, beautiful, juicy opportunities to have um, more influence to make a difference in the lives, you know, particularly of women. Um, that's who I really gravitate towards. So I appreciate your platform and having an opportunity to share today and with younger people, because my, my kid is, I've got a 21 year old and 25 year old and, um, it's challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Big time. It is. Um, I do want to ask, how did you let go of your people pleaser? I know that there's a lot of women specifically in my life that I see with that trait. And it's something that I know I've been working on myself as well. And what were some of the steps that you took? I'm sure. Well, the first thing is recognizing it. So, you know, and then get taking that observer view. And another great tip is, is don't make yes, your MO, right? So if somebody asks you to do something, you can say, let me think about that. 
I'm not sure yet. Let me get back to you instead of just, just get out of the habit of saying yes to everything. It's hard. You have to, you know, you have to feel into um, when you do say no, how does that make you feel? It can make you feel a little uncomfortable, but again, instead of having that uncomfortableness trigger you into being the people pleaser, being okay with a little bit of that discomfort of just like, okay, this is a little uncomfortable to me. I was taught to be a people pleaser. I want everybody to like me, but just starting understanding it. Journaling can be really, really helpful with that as well. Um, and I found something that was super helpful for me is I have a lot of clients who are people pleasers. So when I see them and I see the agony that being a people pleaser causes them and they keep repeating the same old, same old, taking on too many clients, saying yes to all of their relatives all the time, being absolutely exhausted and then getting sick over and over again. It's like, whoa. Let's when I see the suffering that they're going through, it makes me realize that. And I think again, the breast cancer was huge. Breast cancer was like a get out of jail free card. So when people ask me to do things, I could be like, nope, go with radiation right now. I don't, I only have energy for me. It was a really great opportunity. And so now when I say yes to things, I really ask myself, um, is this really what I want to do? And I've also, I worked with a really great spiritual mentor and we developed a new kind of compass where I'm asking myself questions about, you know, is this, is this feeding? If you're working on like a new value, like I want to have more clarity in my life or I want more joy, more, um, more fun asking, is this, is doing this going to going to feed those things that I want to grow in my life? Yeah, that's beautiful. I think we all need to remember that a bit more often to really ask ourselves, do I truly want to do this thing, whatever yes. it might be? I know my mom asked me to go to a musical the other day and I was like, you know, musicals are not my thing. That's one of the things that I can say with certainty immediately. Um, immediately, I don't want to do that and I can take a step back from, but I need to figure that out with some other things as sometimes I do overload myself for sure. It's good though, but you know your edge, right? So yeah. you know your edge and you're starting to be aware of it and you're starting to say no. So you're your way on your your way towards letting the people pleaser go and also understanding you know how the people pleaser is trying to help you so i was talking about these parts i had that workaholic part right so you develop this people pleaser early on because you want it to be probably loved and cared for and you realize like if i just say yes and I, everybody you know i'm the good girl all those things that i'm safe and understanding that I am safe. I can take care of me. I don't need to please everybody for them to love me. And they still love me. So asking, well, she's trying to help me to stay safe, but um, to, and in giving her maybe another chore to do. So thinking about what is something else, if imagine if the people pleaser was kind of sitting in a chair over there, what would I like to say to her? Maybe thanking her, thank you for trying to support me, but I'm really, um, this actually isn't in my best in interest to say yes to everybody and please everybody because I really want to please myself now. So maybe using it as an opportunity to, I'm going to please myself saying no, like, okay, I'm saying no to the musical and maybe I'm going to do something that I love to do instead this afternoon. Exactly. Well, Dr. Ellen, this has been wonderful to have you on and learn from you. And um, we know your book, Rock Your Midlife. Uh, where else can our listeners find you? Everything is on my website. So it's themidlifewhisper.com. That's themidlifewhisper.com. So you can listen to my podcast there. You can listen to my podcast on your favorite um, platform as well. You can get the book there or through Amazon. It's available digitally and um, hard copy worldwide. Awesome. And any 
final pieces of advice for people to rock their life, which wherever they might be in it right now? Yeah, I would just say, you know, be your damn self and love yourself. Be yourself, love yourself and let everything else fall in place from there and take care of yourself. Like do the all of those self-care things. Self-care is not selfish. It is self-preservation. You cannot... Um, help other people. If you don't have your oxygen mask on first, you can't give from an empty cup. We know all of those like isms, all of those cliches that we hear, but it's really true. And the more you give to the, yourself, the more energy you have and the more you shine, the more you give other people permission to do the same. So just be yourself, let your light shine and take really good care of yourself. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Ellen. That was a great way to wrap this up. It was so incredible to have you on and learn from you. You're such a wealth of knowledge. And so we're so thankful that you were able to come on with us today. So thank you so much. Thanks for listening. To support us, please rate, review, subscribe, and share. And we'll see you next week for our next episode of the Soul Connection Duo podcast.